All right, let's take our Bibles together tonight to Luke chapter 24. Glad that you're in church today, and I trust you enjoyed this afternoon. I know it was a busy day for many of you serving in ministry and uh, then being in church and then spoiling your mom or your wife, whoever it was today, but thanks for coming back tonight. Luke chapter 24 in the Bible, we didn't read all of this story uh, on purpose, and we'll read it here in a little while uh, together tonight, but this is one of the sweetest stories uh, in the New Testament to me, and if you've read through this before, then of course you know a little bit about this story, but I find that there's just so much rich spiritual truth here, so I just want to give you some, some thoughts from this. Of course, you'll know now that this is, this is after the resurrection. It's been, it's been three days. It's been three days here in this story since, uh, since Jesus died, and, and this is a Sunday afternoon. I see, it was earlier this morning that, that Mary came and said that the tomb was empty and that she saw Jesus. It wasn't long after that that Peter and John said the same thing. Well, it was empty. And now news had just come that, that the tomb was empty and the body was gone, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. This is a Sunday afternoon, three days after the resurrection. So what I want to do is I want to read the story again for you, and then we'll get into the, the thoughts for this evening. But I want you to notice in verse number 13 of this chapter, it says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all those things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive." And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but they saw him not. Of course, you know that to be Peter and John. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. And as they drew nigh, nigh into the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. 
And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Father, tonight I pray that you'd help us as we read this very familiar story and consider the things that are here for us. Lord, this closes out now the, the narrative of the life of the Lord Jesus. and It's not, not long after this that he ascends to heaven and, and uh, we move into the, the New Testament. We move into the book of Acts. We move into the, the marching forward of the church into the Gentile world. But Lord, this story has so much for us tonight and I pray that it be helpful. And uh, Lord, that it be rich for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can hardly doubt the conversation that they're having. You think about now the, the sadness of their countenance as they walk together. We don't know who the other disciple was. God doesn't tell us. It doesn't really matter. But we know that Cleopas was one and this other disciple as they, as they march out of the western gate of Jerusalem and they head sort of northwest to this village of Emmaus. It's about eight miles or so, maybe a two and a half hour walk for them as they would stroll on this Sunday afternoon and they're talking about the events of the last three days. You think about the conversation, no doubt they're thinking about Judas. But they would have known the, the 12 disciples, now to be apostles. They would have known the story of the treachery of this man. They would have known uh, his suicide, his betrayal. Uh, no doubt they were talking about the chief priests and the scribes and those that had condemned him to death and how these leaders should have known who this man was and yet they unjustly tried him and condemned him. Perhaps they were talking about the cowardice of Pilate who, though he found no fault in him, could still condemned him to die. And then that awful event of those hours at Calvary. Maybe these two were among those who stood and watched the Lord as he suffered on the cross that day. You can hardly doubt what they were talking about. No wonder they were sad. And, and then to, uh, to see perhaps as they watched the, the, those two men take the body of Jesus down off the cross and as they cleaned it and wrapped it and put it into a borrowed tomb. These are the events that they were discussing. And, and God tells us here in the story that they were just rehearsing the events of all these things in verse 14, all these things which, which had happened. What a conversation that must have been. You can probably put yourself into the story today, can't you, and just consider what it was that they were feeling in the moment. But do you understand there was an unexpected companion that joined them that day? Jesus was there. I love how it says in verse 15, it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned. You know, sometimes we look back at the New Testament. We look back at the lives of people that lived and we, we see what they do and, and did. And we have the benefit of having all of the scripture for us. We have the benefit of, of seeing sort of the rest of the story. But in the moment, they didn't have the rest of the story. There were many things that Jesus said and, and taught that they were there for and they heard and many things that they saw, and yet they still didn't comprehend it. And brethren, if, if that had been us, we'd have probably felt the same way. We would have sort of missed the moment. And, and Jesus says here that they, that they were reasoning together. They were just trying to figure it out. Uh, we thought one thing, but something else had happened. And what does it mean? What's the meaning behind all, all of it? We, we had supposed it was going to be this, but it turned out to be that. And then Jesus Jesus came and it says he, he himself drew near and he went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Now we don't know what that means. We, we can just presume then that, that uh, God did not allow them to perceive. If you're to go into the book of Mark in chapter 16, this is given to us in just a couple of verses, just a, a quick thought about this very event. And it says that Jesus had taken another form, whatever that was. 
But whatever it was, he was a man and he was the risen and resurrected Lord and he was there and they couldn't understand that, that it was Jesus. He was there as a companion, an unexpected one, uh, but they couldn't see him. They didn't expect or recognize him. And I, I think about that, brethren, and I think how often that is the truth in our life today. As we walk through the journey of life, we oftentimes go through the trials and uncertainties of life and we don't see that Jesus is there with us. Now listen, there are principles here that are helpful for life. I was thinking about this this afternoon, how, how very much like Job this story is. Uh, we're all familiar with the patience of Job. We're all familiar with the suffering of Job. And you know, essentially when you, when you read through the things that Job said through the trials of his life, he was basically saying to God, God, where are you in all of this? This hurt of my life, the reversals and the, the unexpected turn that my life has taken. And then the only thing that would have been a comfort to me was my own wife. And yet she said, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job said, even my own friends have turned their back on me. And he's just looking at life and he's saying, God, where are you? And then, and then the answer of God in the last few chapters of the book. Have you read? And God said to Job, well, why don't you just consider the stars and the constellations? Job, have you considered the behemoth or the ox? Have you considered the Leviathan? Have you considered the, the creation of all that exists? God was essentially saying to Job, when you ask me where I am, I'm saying to you, just look around, I'm everywhere. I haven't changed. And, and though you can't see me with your eye, there's, a, there's the eye of faith that must be involved here. And brethren, that's the principle here. Jesus was an unexpected companion on this sorrowful journey for these two people. God was saying, just open your eyes and see, I'm right here. I love what David said that about God in the book of Psalms. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. But sometimes we don't see that. It doesn't change the fact of who God is. But you know, everything is different when Jesus is there. I wonder, we've read the story. I wonder how different the story would have turned out if the Lord Jesus hadn't have walked with them on the road that day. I dare say it would have been two and a half or three hours of just misery and gloom and doom. Uh, there would have been no hope or joy at the end of it. It would have just been human reasoning that got to the end of the journey. They would have got to Emmaus as discouraged as the moment they started the journey. But you see, everything's different when Jesus is there, isn't it? Hey, listen, it was different for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when the fourth man came into the fire. How different the story would have been for Daniel had not the angel of the Lord been there to shut the, the mouth of the lions. I'm just simply saying that everything's different when Jesus shows up and walks with us through the journey of life. And I'll tell you tonight, I don't know your life and the hurts and struggles and uncertainties and trials that you're facing, but I know this, if you're saved, that Jesus is there. And beloved, you may not see him. There's sometimes seasons we go through where, where the Lord withholds himself. It doesn't mean he's not there. It just means he's not speaking. Uh, there is something in the Bible about the silence of God that would be worth your study. God will oftentimes bring us to a place where he doesn't say anything extra. He's just given us, as we learned this morning, he's given us his spirit and he's given us the comfort of his word. And sometimes he'll bring us through a quiet season. It's almost as if to say, well, do you believe what I wrote? Do you believe that I'm here? As we said this morning, he, he did say, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
But back to our story here, it says that their eyes were holdened that they should not know him. And, and what, what they needed to have was their eyes opened. They needed to have their eyes open to see something they could not perceive in the moment. Again, that reminds me of the story of Elisha. Or maybe it was Elijah in the book of 2 Kings and, and chapter 6. Uh, he's in the city of Dothan with his servant. And the servant rises up early in the morning and sees that the host of the Syrians have encamped round about the city. Remember that? He goes to his master and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, We're surrounded. And Elijah says, oh, Lord, open his eyes that he would see. He just needed to have his eyes open. What did he see? He saw that God was present, though he couldn't see it before. And I really think that that's just one of the great lessons we can, we can learn here from this story, that Jesus was there. He was an unexpected companion. He was an uninvited companion. And not, it's not that he was unwelcomed. He was just unexpected. But that didn't mean he was unconcerned with their hurt. And he walked with them in their hurt. I love that. He drew near, it says, and he went with them. Let's continue reading. And notice what, uh, what he says to them in this verse. He said unto them, what manner of communications are these that, you've, that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? You know, in, in the vernacular of today, he said, what are you talking about? Well, why do you look so sad? What, what's so heavy on your heart as you walk? You can, you can picture their posture. You know, in times of sadness, there's not the spring in your step. There's the, maybe a, the head is hung low and the voice is a little bit low and there's sorrow on the face. The grief is evident in their, in their, uh, in their bodies. And Jesus said, now what are you talking about? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, here's what he said. Aren't thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Now, we look back at that and smile. Oh, we smile at the statement because we know that was anything but true. But you got a picture now. This was the Passover season. There was many people that had come into Jerusalem for the feast. There were many people that would not normally have been there at the time that observed the crucifixion. And Cleopas is probably thinking, how, how is it that you could not know of the events of the last three days? The whole city was in an uproar. This time of the Passover that should have been a time of, of great rejoicing amongst our people had now turned into an uproar and a chaos and Jesus had been crucified. How could you not know this? Are you only a stranger? The stranger to them was the Son of God. He said unto them, What things? Now we know that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's God in the flesh. He knows all things. He, he knew the things they were talking about. So when Jesus said what things, it wasn't that he didn't know. He wanted them to say it. And so for just a, a few minutes of conversation, the Bible records what it was that they said. What things? Oh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Notice what they said. He was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. What didn't they say? He was the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. They didn't say it. Hey, listen, they believed it. But this is what they were saying. This was in their heart. This was their sorrow. Oh, listen, the chief priests and our own rulers, they delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which had redeemed Israel. And, and if that wasn't enough, beside all this, hmm, today's the third day since these things were done. And then... The women said what they said, and then Peter and John said what they said, and the tomb was empty. And what did Jesus say? Well, what things? Oh, what is it that you need to say here? And what they were doing is they were talking about life, and they were talking about the events of their life and the events of the last three days. But listen, brethren, it was a life out of context. 
They were speaking and Jesus just needed them to say it. They were talking about the circumstances of their life, but they were circumstances that were out of their context. And I want to tell you tonight that you've got to be very careful in interpreting the circumstances of your life out of their context. We know the context. God gives it to us here. But the Bible says of us as believers that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, not by what we see. What was the context meant to be for them that day? Well, it was meant to be the revealed word of God. Faith in the revealed word of God. Jesus said to them a moment later, he said, you've been slow of heart to believe all that the scriptures have said. The context is the word of God. And dear brethren, listen tonight. The context for your life is the Bible. It is the word of God. It provides the context to your circumstances. Don't evaluate your circumstances in light of your own understanding. Proverbs is very clear about that. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Don't lean. Lean not unto thine own understanding. You're going to fall that way. You have no context for the things you can't see. We barely understand the things that happen to us in the moment. But God sees it all and he says, don't lean onto what you understand. In all your ways, acknowledge me. God's saying, I'll direct your paths. It's not about you and your interpretation of things. It's about the word of God. Get back to the context of the Bible is what he's saying. I love what Jeremiah said. Chapter number 10. He said, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. This great man of God is looking at his own life. He's looking at the nation around him. And here's what he says. I'm going to conclude this. I have no capacity to direct my own life. It is not within me to provide the direction and understanding for my own life. He's saying, God, I surrender to you. And you and I have got to get to a place in our life where we understand that maybe we don't understand life, but God does. And there's going to be times where it's not time for us to speak. There's going to be situations that God brings us into where we don't understand, but it's not time for us to phone a friend. It's not time for us to pull the audience. It's not time for us to jump on the internet and search for an answer. It's time for us to close our mouth, to get on our knees with an open Bible and say, God, I need for you to provide context for my life because I don't want to misinterpret the things that are happening in my life. I need to know what you think about this. It's life out of its context. And brethren, we have no excuse as believers, do we? We have no excuse. It's not that we, that we are ignorant of the Bible. We have multiple copies of the Bible. It's on our phone. It's on our computer. We've got two or three in our house. We've got one in the glove box of our car. We have, probably have one at the desk at work. We have the Bible everywhere. If any generation had context, it's us. And what God is saying here, the, the story, the principle here was they were discouraged because, because they, God didn't do what they wanted him to do. Notice again what they said. Look at verse 21. This is such a key here. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Now here's what they weren't saying. They were not saying that we trusted that Jesus was the redeemer of the sin of the world. That's not what they were saying. They were saying we trusted that he was the one that was going to break the yoke of Roman occupation over Israel that finally we were going to be free of this oppression of the Roman government and that he was going to set himself up and free us and, and we were going to be a free, prosperous nation. They had missed everything because God didn't do what they expected for him to do. So what do we do in life when God doesn't meet our expectations? 
I'm reminded of the story of John who was in prison. He had said to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. That didn't end well. He's in prison. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when Jesus heard that John was in prison, he departed and went to another place. Jesus didn't even go visit John in prison. And so here we have this great man of God. There was not a a greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. That's the testimony of the Lord Jesus himself. You have this great prophet of God who who was the first to say, Behold, uh, pay attention to, look there. That's the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sin of the world. If anybody knew who, who Jesus was, it was John, right? But after a while in prison, you know, John's got to be thinking, you know, this isn't really turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. I, I knew that I was the forerunner. I understood that I was the, the, the voice in the wilderness crying and turning men to the Messiah. I, I knew all of that, but he's, he hasn't done what I thought, and, and I'm in a situation I didn't think I was going to be in. And So he gets a couple of his disciples. Do you remember this? And he, he says, you go find him. And ask him this question for me. Are, are you really he that should come? Or are we supposed to look for somebody else? You know what that is? God, God didn't meet John's expectations. He's misinterpreted things because he had an idea of something that didn't come to pass the way that he thought it was going to come to pass. And now doubts creep in. You understand? Now doubts creep in. Brethren, don't have expectations of God. Don't have expectations of what your life is meant to be like. In in any relationship, expectations will kill it. If you're dating somebody and you're just trying to get to know them and you think you're going to go the distance and marriage is going to be down the the road, if that's kind of the journey of your life, well, if you want to kill that relationship, then just have a bunch of expectations for that person. For those of you that have put the ring on, whether it's five or 50 years of marriage, if you have expectations in your marriage, you're going to kill your marriage. And if you and I have expectations about how our life is going to turn out, I guarantee you it's not going to turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. There's probably not any of us that are sitting here tonight whose life is where they thought it was going to be at this stage. What the Lord is saying is just turn loose of all of that. Just turn loose of all of that and realize the context for your life is the Word of God. You know what they needed? Back to our story. What they needed was a a realignment. And Jesus, in his mercy, he's just a wonderful Savior. I'm telling you, listen, brethren, he's a wonderful Savior. Uh, We look at the attributes of our Lord. It's not just something we preach. I hope you believe the truth of it. I love what they said about Jesus, that they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. You know, there's a kindness, an exceeding kindness to our God. I understand that there's, there's censure and rebuke to, to the religious hypocrites that, that deny him or reject him. I understand there were times where he called certain people vipers and snakes. I understand that. But, you know, that's not how Jesus talks to his own. He's a wonderful and gracious God. And so when he speaks to them, he says, oh, fools. And, and the word here doesn't mean you, you foolish, stupid, ignorant. That's not, that's not a rebuke. He's just saying you're so simple. You're ignorant of the things that are sitting right in front of you. It's not meant to be a a censure and a rebuke. He just says, you need a realignment. They're old fools and and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and then to enter into his glory? What Jesus was doing was turning back to the word of God. Did you see that? 
You're, you're fools and you're slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He was saying, guys, what you've got to do is you've got to get a realignment in your thinking. It's time for you to go back to the word of God. What did the prophets say? What did the Old Testament say about the coming of the Messiah? It was an adjustment to the way that they think. If they had mixed faith and belief with their knowledge of the scriptures, everything would have been different. And so it is with you and I today. Now, hear me well in this because we, we all are guilty of this from time to time. It's not enough to know the scriptures. It must be mixed with faith and belief. It's got to be saying, okay, God, this is what you said. And as we talked about this morning, okay, I'm going to act on it now. You've said this, I'm going to act on it. Whatever it is that God has said, he wants us to act on the truth of it. And if their life had been mixed with, with a faith and belief of the Old Testament scriptures, this would have been a very different journey for them. There would have been excitement and joy and belief in the events of that morning. You understand? They wouldn't have been trying to reason about all of it. They would have been rejoicing in the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It was prophesied that he was going to rise from the dead. It was typified in Jonah and other things that, that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. You understand, they had it all in front of them, but it wasn't mixed with faith and belief. And how different that journey would have been for them. It wouldn't have been doubt and disillusionment. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have been despair. It would have been joy and rejoicing. He's alive. Hey, we haven't seen him yet, but he's alive. But that's not where they were. They were forcing their perspective onto the pages of Scripture, and they missed all of the truth because of it. They missed the truth. Jesus said, you're slow of heart to believe. Now, again, this is why I think this is so practical for our life today. I don't mean this to be a rebuke to you because I don't know you, but I'm just sort of preaching to me, and you get to listen. Because there's been a lot of times in my life where I've been slow of heart to believe what God has said. Been slow to believe it. Jesus said to these disciples, you're, you're slow to believe. I was thinking this afternoon about this. I think about how Abraham, oh, Abraham wasn't slow to believe. God said to Abraham, you know what? Through you is going to be a great nation. He said, okay. I'm an old man, but okay. How do we know that he wasn't slow to believe? Well, God says that, that uh, he blessed him. It was counted as righteousness to him because he just believed it. Hey, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. Take him to the top of this mountain, and I'm going to show you where it is, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice, a burnt offering to me. Okay. He rose up early the next morning and took his son. You understand what that is? That's quick to believe what God said. I'm just, I believe it. I'm acting upon it. How about Mary? What a, what a wonderful story. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Blessed art thou among women. You're highly favored. Hey, Mary, God's chosen you for something, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. And Mary said, now, okay, listen, I'm a virgin. How, how's this going to happen? It wasn't unbelief. It was just a legitimate question. And Gabriel said, no, no here's what's going to happen. The, the power of God is going to overshadow you, and, and uh, that holy thing that's going to be born of you is going to be from God. And you know what Mary said? Well, be it unto me according to thy word. It was just instant faith. I believe it. I believe it. I'm quick to believe. But that surely wasn't the journey of these two. We need to be quick to believe what God says. Do you, do you believe that? Be quick to believe it. When you read it in the Bible, in its context, and you understand what God is saying, be quick to believe it. You may not understand how it's going to work out. That's the handicap for you and I. Because we see what God said and we, we can't compare it. Uh, we, can't, uh, we can't figure out 
how can God do this in my life? Well, I don't know how God could do it, but he said he was going to do it. I'll give you a classic example. Usually every Sunday, maybe Wednesday here, I don't know, but you're going to have an offering bag that goes around. And we give not because we're forced to. Nobody's, the ushers aren't twisting anybody's arms. We give because we see the clear principles of the word of God about our giving. And it's really good for us to give, isn't it? Because it helps remind us that all that we have belongs to the Lord anyway. I'm not trusting in my money. I'm trusting in my God. So we give out of love and out of devotion. It's just a wonderful thing to give. But the, the principle of Scripture is that when you give, God will give back to you. Luke 6.38. So what do we do? Well, we give out of obedience and love to the Lord. And you can't figure it out on paper. If you've ever, ever tried to budget your giving to the Lord, it doesn't work out. How is it that we can give X amount and God just somehow meets our needs? It doesn't work out on paper. You, you understand? I hope you've experienced that in your life as you just faithfully give to the Lord. You said, this doesn't make sense. How can I pay my bills when I'm giving this amount of money to the Lord? But it doesn't change the fact that God said, I still want you to give. You can't reconcile how it's going to work out. But brethren, God didn't ask you to try to figure it out. He just said, obey. And it's that way in every area of life. Whatever it is that God said, we need to be quick to believe what God said. Here's something that we struggle with sometimes. Some of us here, we struggle because we doubt that God's going to forgive us for things that we've done. How many Christians have hijacked their spiritual life because of this? They've done some things in their life that they're ashamed of and they're guilty. They're, they're just afraid. They think that God's not going to forgive them because they've done this 503 times before and they've confessed it and now they're back to square one. Hello. And so they just give up and say, well, God's not going to forgive me. God can't forgive me. I've, I've just gone too far. I've done too much. And they've overlooked the fact that 1 John 1, 9 is still in the word of God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't move past that. Rejoice in the fact that God says to you, no, no, just bring it back to me and confess it. But, you know, sometimes the, the opposite of that is something that we need to be quick to understand. The opposite sometimes is something we need to understand because sometimes Christians think that they can just get away with sin. It's not that they have a guilty conscience and they just, they're just so torn up by it and they figure, oh, God's done with me. It's not that, but sometimes Christians just live a lie. Sometimes there's believers who indulge in their sin and they're trying to hide it from God and I'm uh, reminded of what Nahum said, that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And he says, and he, he will not at all acquit the wicked. God is saying, I will not overlook your sin. And you study one of the great themes of the Bible all the way through, and you see that God is saying that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. And it will all be held to account. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Uh, for he that reap, uh, soweth to the flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. There's going to be a judgment in the flesh for sin in our life as believers. Brethren, it's going to happen. And maybe you're here tonight and you're one of those pretending that you can just get away with it. I'm here to tell you you can't get away with it. We need to be quick to believe. Maybe for some of us it's just quick to believe God can take care of our needs. We've all been in times of need, haven't we? Maybe you're there today. You've lost your job or you've, you've had some sort of financial reversal and you're looking at things and you're saying, I don't know what we're going to do. Can I remind you what the Bible says? 
Jesus said this, And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of those things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Very similar passage is obviously found in the book of Matthew, but this was in Luke and chapter 12. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we just need to be quick to believe that God's just going to take care of us. Hey, listen, God's going to take care of you if you're saved. Uh, what, what do you need to do? You just need to do right and serve the Lord and be faithful to Him and just trust Him and God's going to take care of you. Do you believe that? God's going to take care of you. I hope you're quick to believe that because otherwise you're going to have a pretty sour life. And so Jesus says, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then he asked the question. He said, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Hey, the prophets spoke about this. You understand that there had to be the, the, the cross before there was the crown. There had to be the suffering before the glory could come. Don't you see it? Don't you recognize what the scriptures have said? And so he expounded the scriptures before he opened their eyes. You understand? He opens the scriptures in order to open our eyes. You're not going to get a vision, brethren. It's not going to be written in the stars somewhere. It's not going to be because you watched a YouTube clip. It's going to be because you get into the Word of God. You open the Scriptures, and the Spirit of God opens your eyes. And now you have understanding. And now your thinking begins to be realigned. It's lined up with the Word of God. Oh, this is what God said. And beginning at Moses and the prophets, all the prophets, He expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. I don't know, Brother Lloyd, if you've ever thought about like favorite places you wish you could go back to. But this has always been one of those that I wish I could go hear this sermon. I mean, of all the things that Jesus would have spoken and taught, wouldn't have this been an amazing sermon? To have just had a couple hours to walk along the path and hear the Son of God run us from Moses, the first five books of the Bible. This is, this is by the way, Jesus validating that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them the things in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a message that would have been. You can see as Jesus was walking with them, he just sort of says, well, this is what the prophet said. Let me give you the stories of the Old Testament and tell you all about myself. And so Jesus was doing that. You know, it was, it was him pointing to himself in, in the flood and the ark. It was him pointing to himself in the Passover in the Red Sea, the, the building of the instruments of the tabernacle, the, the story of Abraham and his son Isaac and the brazen serpent and the rock in the wilderness and the manna falling down from heaven, the, the story of Boaz and Ruth, all of these and many more. Jesus was expounding to them all of the things in the scriptures that concerned him. And I hope you understand as you read through the Bible that you and I have not just been given the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament just sheds light on the stories of the old. It's the thing that allows you to understand the context of the Old Testament. It's Jesus Christ. It's all of Him. And as we read through the Old Testament, don't just roll your eyes and say, well, it's just the history of some ancient nation. What does this have to do with anything? It has everything to do with life because it has everything to do with Jesus. Don't just limit yourself to the reading of the New Testament. Seek for the pictures of Jesus Christ. They're everywhere from the beginning of the Bible. I wonder if it could be tonight that you and I are slow of heart to believe what God has plainly written to us. I don't know, but maybe, maybe we need to just be realigned with the scriptures tonight. 
You understand that the purpose of the preaching of the Word of God, we, we've gathered here together tonight and the fellowship has been great and the, the singing has been great and I believe it's honored the Lord and it's just been a blessing to us, but the purpose of the preaching of the Word of God is that the Spirit of God would use the truth of Scripture to bring about a, a change in our life. I don't know what's going on with you. I hardly know what's going on with me, but I know this, that we all need to be changed. There's, there's a realignment that you and I all need. We just have a tendency to drift. That's just the reality of life. And so the blessing of, of the local church is we get back to a place where God tethers us back in and says, hey, listen, get back with my program. Understand my way of thinking. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And I'm saying to you tonight that you might be in need of just having your thinking realigned a little bit. Get back to the scriptures and see what God has to say. And so back to the story then. Jesus uh, gives all of this scripture to them. Uh, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself and and then verse 28, they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. It was a very, um, a very gracious thing the Lord did here. It wasn't a deceptive thing, but it was, it was a kindness on his part. He, he would not intrude unless he was asked. And so he was just going to go on, and, but they said, no, no, come back in. It's a very similar thing to when Jesus sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee that time, and, and uh, then he walked on the water, and it said he made as though he would have passed by them. They cried out for fear, and he said, no, no, I'm here, I'm here. It's the same concept here. Jesus just would have gone by, but there was a request. No, 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 come in. And they besought him to come in. It says that they constrained him, uh, abide with us. It's toward evening. The day is far spent. And so he went in to tarry with them. And I love this in verse 30. came to pass as he sat at meat with him. Listen, it wasn't his home. Jesus was just a guest. But it says, as he sat at meat with them, uh, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Oh, what a wonderful truth this is. You understand that, that he took the place of the host, though he was a guest in their house. So they're sitting around, you know, they sort of reclined. They didn't sit at tables like you and I do. They reclined on the ground. What a great life that would have been. But anyway, so they, they reclined on the ground and, and uh, you know, and Jesus took the bread. And does that remind you of anything? I don't mean the last supper. I don't mean that at all. Because these two weren't at the Last Supper. We understand that the 11 were there, but it wasn't these. But you understand they were disciples of Jesus. They had been following Jesus for some period of time. You, you don't think that maybe they were there when Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to the disciples who gave to the multitudes? How many times do you see in the life of Jesus where he did this? He, he broke bread and he thanked God for it and then he distributed it. You understand? Jesus took the place of the host in their own house. And he blessed it and he broke it and he gave to them. And it says in verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. I know some of this is speculation, but just allow me to speculate for just a minute because I think I'm right. Can you just picture with me as they, as they sit down to break bread and Jesus just takes charge and he grabs the bread and he breaks it. Okay, see, he breaks it. They're just sitting around. They're in very close proximity to him. He breaks it. I wonder what they saw in his hands. Oh, this stranger that had walked with him and had, had preached to them for the last two hours, they were, they were certainly burned up on the inside. We'll look at that in just a moment. There was something uh, unique and special that was happening, but their eyes were still holding. And I wonder if they probably didn't see too much of his hands as they were walking. 
I don't know that they were staring at him in fascination as much as they were just probably looking at the path in front of them as they walked and were considering and thinking about all that they had learned as young Jewish children growing up about the Old Testament law. And they were so wrapped up and fascinated by the story. But it wasn't so much they paid attention to the person as the thing he was talking about. But this was different as they sat down to take bread and Jesus broke it in front of them. And it says that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And I want you to drop down as we looked at this verse uh, our last verse earlier, look at verse 35. When they'd gone back to Jerusalem, notice it says they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking a bread. I just think the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, when Jesus broke the bread, that's when they knew who he was. They'd seen him do it before. He did it exactly the same way here. And I wonder if they didn't see the scars in his hands. But whether they did or did it doesn't matter. It's just me speculating. One thing I know, though, is they had a revived hope, didn't they? Hey, things were different now. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him. He vanished out of their sight. So now they're going to have a very different conversation than where they started. And now the conversation is a little bit different, and I want you to notice what they say. Verse 32, it's, it's a renewed hope. They said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Cleopas is speaking to whoever it is and says, my heart was burning up. Hey, there's a revival that's taking place now. Uh, something has, has been rekindled and renewed in my spirit. No longer am I discouraged. No longer am I wondering, is it really true? And, and uh, you know, is he really going to do what he said he was going to do? Now, now it all makes sense. Hey, listen, these guys would have had such a context for the Bible from this day forward. They just heard the greatest message ever preached on the Old Testament. I can't help but think that that would have changed the way they lived their life from that day forward. How could you view the Bible the, the same way as you used to when Jesus had just expounded to you everything in the Scripture about himself? Oh, there was a revived hope. Their eyes were opened, you understand. Our heart burned within us, and I believe that's a result of communion with God, brethren. The result of us communing with God. You know where this can happen? Now hear me tonight. This can happen in your lounge room tomorrow morning when you pay the price to fellowship with the Lord. The reason we're so shallow in our generation is because hardly anybody wants to pay a price to get close to God. And we blame the fact that we, we drive... 45 minutes to get to work, and we got to be to work at 6.30. And, and I understand the reality of the human life, and I understand we get tired, and I understand we've got schedules, we've got to work all this out. But I'm telling you, if you and I are going to get close to God, we're going to have to pay a price to do it. But what a wonderful price it is to pay. And, and you can wake up tomorrow morning, and your heart can burn as you fellowship with the Lord. But you've got to approach the Bible with belief and faith. You've got to approach the Bible not as a religious thing that we just have to do, but we get to learn about the Son of God. We get to search the Scriptures. God has given us the privilege in our language. It was, it was free. It cost us nothing. Men and women have shed their blood to get this book to us in past generations. It only cost us $69.95 to get it. And our heart can burn within us as we open the Word of God. We just need to have a revived hope in Scripture. And what that does is it gives us context for life. We just say, oh, now I know. I'll tell you, one thing that I've been learning as time has gone on is the value of just meditating on the Word of God. I, I don't know how you are, but I just get, I'm in a hurry. Are you in a hurry? 
Maybe it's just because I live in Sydney. But I'm in a hurry. I'm thinking about all the things that I have to do and all the busyness of the day or the events of the day or even things coming up next week and I find that, that I'll read through the Bible and I'll, I'll spend time with the Lord but I haven't meditated on, on the Bible. And there's, there's a depth and richness to the Bible that we're going to miss unless we meditate on it. You take a passage and just sit there and chew on it for a while. Maybe there's going to be a time where you open the Bible and all you ever do is read two or three verses but that's all you can do because you're just meditating on that. You're just thinking about the spiritual truth. Does this make sense? This is where we need to be. If you're going to have a rekindled hope in God and you're going to have a real context for your life, it's going to come because you and I have spent time, time in the Word of God. Did not our heart burn? We just need to desire to be close to God. I'm going to leave it there tonight. They rose the same hour. They returned to Jerusalem they found the 11 that were gathered together and there were others, right? And these other people said, the Lord has risen indeed, verse 34. He's appeared to Simon and then they said, hey, we, well, let me just tell you what happened to us. He, he didn't just appear to us. He walked with us for two and a half hours. Oh, guys, if you could have heard the message. Did you know? Did you know about this in the tabernacle? Did you know this thing about, about Noah? Had you ever thought about this about Moses? You understand, they, they were excited. There was something renewed and rekindled. And may that be our desire tonight. May that be our desire that we would not be slow of heart to believe, but that we might have some personal revival based on the truth of the Word of God. Lord, tonight I pray that you'd help us to be what we ought to be and do what we ought to do for you. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the story of the life of the Lord Jesus. You said that if everything had been written down about what he said and what he did, the, the world couldn't contain the books. But Father, we just have the one book you gave us. It sits on our lap here today and you said you've magnified your word above your name. You've placed great value on the Bible. Help us tonight to be rekindled in our own love and devotion to the word of God. It's it's not just the Word of God, it's the God of the Word. It's all about you, Father. Help us to live our life in that way. And then, Lord, I pray that as, as we think about this message and how it, uh, how it applies to our own life, that we would just consider that perhaps we're walking down a certain road tonight, Lord, of uncertainty and doubt and despair, or maybe there's some suffering. These are normal parts of human existence. Lord, I pray that if those here tonight are going through that, that they would realize the context for all of it in their life is found in the Word of God. Help us, Lord, to get back to the book. Teach us to believe it, to, to act upon it by faith. Thank you for your guidance and your wonderful love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.